Good morning, everybody. My name is Gene Williams. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Fellowship Church, and I'm delighted that you're all here to hear from our Lord and from His Word. We are going to be in Ecclesiastes 8. If you have a church Bible, it is on page 358. Have you noticed how much homosexuality has been in the news lately? It has been a regular occurrence in the news. We're used to hearing about it monthly, if not weekly by now. And it seems like the topic is slowly progressing down the field of acceptability. Have you heard that Apple, Subaru, Target, and Burger King now openly support gay marriage? Burger King came out with a proud whopper and supported a commercial in which a little girl said, I love my two mommies. Now, this isn't a sermon on homosexuality. This is a sermon, though, on evil causes and how to handle them. What do you do if you work for a company like Burger King pursuing an evil cause? How about a boss? A government? A husband? How about a church? Today we are going to consider what to do in instances like your boss organizing a party for the homosexual couple in your office. According to the Bible, do you go to the party? Do you sign the card? Do you pretend like it's sinless to be homosexual? Do you refuse to go to the party and say everybody who goes is evil? Is there a middle ground? These are some tough questions, and as usual, Solomon has some tough verses for us. If you pay attention to these verses, you might find out that what Solomon has to say is different from what you might expect. On your outline, we are going to consider corruption. In the face of civil corruption, trust God. We're going to spend the bulk of our time there. And then in the face of church corruption, fear God. Put those two together and you've got the title of the sermon. First, let's pray to God and ask Him to work in our hearts. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for your word. It is a privilege to know you. May we never take it for granted. Help us to read your word this morning and come to know you better. Help us to come to know Jesus better. Help us to see our sin to see our Savior Jesus and see how you redeem us out of all our sin. God, teach us what to do in corrupt situations. Teach us to trust you and fear you. In Christ's name, amen. First, let's consider, in the face of civil corruption, trust God. For that, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 8. Like I said, it's on page 358. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. 
Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Before we get into it, let's consider the context. At the end of this section, Solomon gives us another one of his conclusive statements. In verse 9, he says, He's seen all this under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Solomon observes verses 1 through 8 when? When one man had power over another man. The situation he's speaking to is a king having power over someone under him. Power enough to hurt him. Now today we don't have a king, but we have bosses, right? We have companies we work for, governments, husbands. And these entities have power over us. Most often power enough to hurt us if they wanted to. Within this context, Solomon says for the man under the king to do three things. Did you see that? He said, obey, don't leave, and don't take your stand. He says to obey in verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. He says not to leave in verse 3. Be not hasty to go from his presence. In other words, don't be quick to leave. Don't run away from the king's command. And third, this is the most challenging command of the three. Verse three, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. The man under the king is not to take his stand when the king is pursuing an evil cause. Here, taking a stand simply means to protest, boycott, Basically, be willing to die on a hill. Why is the man under the king not to take his stand? Because the king's going to do whatever he wants anyway. Now, some of you might say, Gene, you're reading this wrong. It says, do not take your stand in an evil cause. In other words, don't be evil. That interpretation becomes hard to defend as we look to the end of verse 3 and verse 4. Let's read. For he does whatever he pleases, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? If you read, do not take your stand in an evil cause to mean during an evil cause brought about by the king, it makes a whole lot more sense. Do not take your stand in or during an evil cause, for he, the king, does whatever he pleases. 
For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? This is about you submitting under the king's evil, not you doing evil to the king. The main idea is when the king is pursuing something evil, don't take your stand. Remember the context, though. Don't take your stand when verse 9 is true, when man has power over man to his hurt. So to bring it to today, when your boss throws that party for the homosexual couple in your office and orders you to show up, show up. Obey. Don't run away. Don't take your stand in an evil cause. Don't take your stand against something your boss has complete control over anyway. Now, let me go into one exception. Put yourself in the original context. If Solomon comes to you and commands you, worship a false god, are you going to do that? That's right. Other scriptures make it clear not to do that. If somebody tells you to do something against God's law, don't do it. However, if Solomon comes to you and commands you to build a temple for a false god, are you to obey him then? I think Ecclesiastes here is saying you have to do it. Don't take your stand in an evil cause. Keep the king's command. Solomon is not saying we should be okay with evil. If you follow Solomon's advice, you're not doing evil. You're not approving of evil. You're simply submitting to the king out of reverence for and trust in the Lord. To bring it back again, as long as your boss doesn't command you to become homosexual yourself, or anything else that would break God's command. Obey your boss. Let's consider a biblical example. Let's talk about Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Daniel and three other Israelites are exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're in a foreign country, studying foreign literature, serving under a foreign government that oppresses and kills. And while there, uh, Daniel and the three are subject to the command of a foreign king. This king has power over them to their hurt. And he may or may not command them to do something evil. Sound familiar? We have a remarkably similar situation to that of Ecclesiastes 8. How did Daniel respond? Did he obey Ecclesiastes? Yes, he does. Studying another culture's literature doesn't break any of God's commands, does it? So Daniel and the three do what verse 2 says. They obey the king's command. They don't seek to leave. They don't take their stand. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was plenty evil. And God rewards their faith. Daniel 1.20 And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of the four Israelites, 
he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God rewards their obedience. Why does Daniel obey? Well, besides verse 2 and 3 commanding him to, Solomon gives us further reasoning. We already kind of touched on this one, but one of the reasons given in the text to obey is you can't question the king anyway. Verse 4, For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Even if the subject does stand up to the king, the king's decree is untouchable. If he questions the king, he will just be shut down. Another reason the text gives for obedience is you don't know what's coming. Only God does. Daniel, oh, excuse me, let me do the verse first. Verse 7, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? Daniel did not know what was going to happen. He did not know what God was going to do. He did not know how God was going to use his obedience, even in the face of corruption. Daniel just honored God and obeyed the king. Verse 8 gives further reasoning. It says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Daniel did not have power to retain the spirit or power over death. Who does have these powers? The text begs that question. Only God has these powers. With these two verses, Solomon is saying, you don't know what's going to happen. God has power that you do not have. So, obey the king and trust God. Why should trust be the thing that allows us to obey? Think about it. Trusting puts your faith in a good God, even in a corrupt situation. You know the king has power to hurt you, but God has the power to hurt the king. Not only that, God has the power to redeem the whole situation and use it for good. This is great and all, but didn't Daniel eventually say no? Didn't he and the three refuse to eat certain food and refuse to bow down to that golden image? That seems to go against what Ecclesiastes is saying here. Here is the division. When the king commands them to do something that doesn't break God's law, like studying literature, they obey. When the king commands them to do something that does break God's law, they either ask for a different menu or they refuse altogether. So, there is a time and a place to say no. Daniel and the three were demonstrating what Ecclesiastes 8.5 describes as a wise heart. It says, The wise heart will know the proper time in the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything. There is a time for disobeying the king, for leaving, and for taking your stand. Daniel and the king obeyed the king until his 
order transgressed God's command. How does this apply to us? When your superior orders you to transgress God's law, disobey your superior's command. When your superior orders you to do something that supports an evil cause, but it doesn't break any of God's commands, obey and trust the Lord. When you're faced with that homosexual office party and you're deciding what to do, go to the party, smile, sign the card. When your company is engaging in insider trading or when your government is shutting down campus ministries for the wrong reasons or when your husband is not worshiping the true God, don't sweat it. Obey. Don't run away. Don't take your stand in an evil cause. God's in control. You don't know how it will turn out. You don't know how God will use your obedience to redeem the situation. You don't have power over the spirit or over death. Only God does. Trust in Him and then not in your power to fix it. Keep your head down, your hands folded, and your eyes toward heaven, trusting in God to bring about redemption. God is really good at bringing about redemption. Much better at it than we are. God takes these instances with evil people in charge, and He uses His weak, obedient servants to turn evil on its head. Think of Joseph and Potiphar, Moses and Pharaoh, Esther and Ahasuerus, Jesus and Pontius Pilate. God wants to use you as an obedient agent of redemption. Trust Him to. If that's not enough, and it should be, think about other scripture. Psalm 37, the wicked plots against the righteous, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. They all say, Submit and trust the Lord. In summary, in the the face of civil corruption, trust God. Now let's consider church corruption. In the face of church corruption, fear God. For that, we're going to read the last four verses. Starting at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. And were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. 
this section continues with what we were just talking about in the first section. I'm not going to say everything I just said. I'm just going to say what's different. Here Solomon is talking about the church or the holy place as he calls it in verse 10. This section speaks of wickedness and wellness. It makes clear that there can be corruption in the church. Notice in verse 10, the wicked used to go in and out of the holy place. The wicked. In the original context, think of Eli, the priest, and his sons. They definitely represented evil in the holy place. They made sacrifices improperly and laid with women who were serving in the tent of meeting. They slept with women of the holy place. That's corruption. In our day, not much has changed. There's still corruption. In an age where people accuse Driscoll and Osteen of corruption, Scripture still rings true. Verse 11. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. This section talks about wickedness. It also talks about wellness. Who will it be well with? The text says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, it will be well with those who fear God. But it will not be well with the wicked because he does not fear before God. This verse gives us tremendous reason to fear God. This is a great promise. If you fear God, it will go well with you. How does this apply to us today? To bring it directly here to GFC, maybe you witness an elder misuse the church budget for personal gain. Maybe it's worse. Maybe you witness adultery committed amongst the church leaders. Our church is not immune to this type of corruption. In that case, what should you do? Should you bring it up? Should you take your stand? You see, there is a difference between the church and civil setting. In the civil setting, we're told not to take a stand. However, in the church setting, we're not told that. We're told to fear God. In the church, you play by slightly different rules. So, application, if you see corruption in the church, bring it up. Fear God. Not what other people will think of you. Not the absence of your own comfort. Bring it up and trust it will go well. Even in the midst of a church elder misusing the budget or committing adultery, if you choose to fear God, it will go well with you. And the Lord will use it to redeem and sanctify His bride, the church. What's the point? Under the sun, evil exists. Even in the church. You can either choose to fear the evil or fear God. If you fear God, it will go well with you. In closing, let's consider Christ. 
God used Jesus as an agent of redemption. When Jesus lived life here under the sun, he faced civil and church corruption. He faced corrupt civil authority in Rome. Pontius Pilate was willing to put Jesus to death and free Barabbas, though Jesus was completely innocent and Barabbas evil. Jesus faced church corruption in the Pharisees. Whitewashed tombs, he called them, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. In the face of these corruptions, what did Jesus Christ do? He obeyed. Even while Pilate and the Pharisees pursued evil causes, Jesus obeyed. He didn't run. He didn't take his stand in an evil cause even the cause that put him to death. In the face of corruption, Jesus endured the cross, trusting and fearing God the whole way. Jesus knew that his Father was going to bring about redemption. God used Jesus' obedience to bring about the greatest redemption the world has ever seen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. It is a challenging text. Would you soften our hearts to be changed by your text? A man told me once that the Bible is is not an easy book to read. Lord, would you be at work in our hearts, changing us and making us more into the image of Christ, even though you've already made us completely holy and pure and blameless through the work of the cross and your resurrection to life. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.